Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Are you ready for what God has for you today? Whether you are in the room live, watching online, or later on demand, I know one thing for sure. God wants to do something new in you. There is nothing more exciting than knowing that God is at work, even if we can't see what He's doing and have to wait a while to find out. He is always good, so our lives are safe and secure in His hands, no matter what that new thing is. I'm Chris Voigt, and I have the immense privilege of leading the team here at Dayspring. It certainly keeps me on my toes because that team expends endless energy helping people grow. If you are visiting Dayspring today, we want you to know that you can come as you. We're just like you, regular people on a journey discovering what God has for us each day, and each day saying yes to becoming like Jesus, one step at a time. Which means that no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, this is a good place to figure out what your yes is today, and tomorrow, and the next day slowly becoming like Jesus. We haven't arrived yet, so we can be good company on the journey, even if you aren't sure the Christian life is a journey you want to be on. This is a good place to ask questions as you look for answers. So welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now, let's join our service. was going into sixth grade, I went on a vacation to Southern California, and one of our stops was Hearst Castle. Have any of you ever been to Hearst Castle? Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty magnificent. Um, I lived in low-income housing, so it's no surprise that it left an impression on me. Um, so much so that I went back twice as an adult, and honestly, I would go again. It is truly a spectacular residence. Of course, now it's a historical monument like so many extravagant castles and homes are. Uh, no one can afford to keep up the maintenance, so they end up being purchased by the government and become tourist attractions. Hearst Castle was built by William Randolph Hearst, who was a billionaire newspaper man who lived from 1863 to 1951. Uh, he also served as mayor of New York, uh, governor of New York, and he ran unsuccessfully for president of the United States. Uh, Orson Welles' movie Citizen Kane was inspired by the life of William Randolph Hearst. Now, Mr. Hearst invested in a fortune in fine arts and collectibles. And one day, he found a description of some items that he just had to have. He sent out one of his agents to acquire these items. And after several months, uh, the agent reported to Mr. Hearst that he, in fact, already owned them. They were in one of his warehouses where he stored many such items. And Mr. Hurst was searching for riches that he already had. Had he, you know, cataloged his riches, maybe he would have been more aware of what he owned. And I think we are often like 
William Hurst. I mean, obviously not in the billionaire <laughs> kind of sense, but we have riches that we search for and we don't even realize that we already own. So welcome to our new series, Becoming Who You Are. We're looking forward to growing together as we study the book of Ephesians. But before we dive in, let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is magnificent. And as we dive into the first chapter of the book of Ephesians, we've, we've got a lot to cover. And it's so very important to our relationship with you. So God, help us to stay the course through this message and stay the course through your work in our lives as you are growing us to become more like Jesus. Amen. So here are some fun facts about the book of Ephesians. It's only six chapters. Uh, it, there are approximately four pages with just a 155 verses, so it's relatively short. It would take about 20 minutes to read out loud, much shorter than this message will be. <laughs> this book is actually a letter, and it's, it, it's to be written, approx it was written approximately in 60 AD by the Apostle Paul while he was in Rome, and it was not written to confront any heresy or problem as some of his other letters were. It was a letter of encouragement written to strengthen the church by explaining the nature and purpose of the church. This letter may have been intended to be circled around to several different churches uh, as some of the earlier manuscripts do not include the words in Ephesus in verse 1. And as we walk together through this series on Ephesians, we can include the family of Christ followers at Dayspring in that circulation. Knowing who we are before God through Christ and that we should live according to that identity is Paul's theme here throughout. And this letter is presented in basically, you know, two basic parts. But to keep you from thinking that we're ending too soon today, um, let me warn you. As many of you know, I, I teach an exercise class here on Thursday mornings for seniors. Uh, not the teenage kind of senior, the senior that's more in tune with the concept of loss of collagen and the pull of gravity. But anyway, a part of teaching or training someone is to let them know how much longer they have to suffer. So when I'm teaching, for instance, you are doing an exercise such as squats, everybody's favorite, and I often cue down the last few by counting backwards, you know, four, three, two, one more. And it gives people um, kind of a chance to know how much longer they need their muscles to stay engaged with the exercise. Well, today, we have several opportunities to count down, so to speak. Uh, the reason I'm telling you this is because when someone is preaching and we hear, I have four points, or there are three things to talk about here, our right brain knows when we can begin to be excited for the pain to stop. You know, we've experienced, we've logged into our library that when a preacher gives us a number of things to talk about, we can begin to prepare for the landing of the message by which point they're on. Not so today. <laughs> Not so today. Every section of our message has subsections. So don't get excited to leave until I tell you to get excited to leave. <laughs> The pain will not stop until we count down each section. Okay, 
This letter is presented in two basic parts. First is the doctrine, knowing who we are as a Christ follower and the riches or blessings that we receive from being a Christ follower. And second is our application, knowing our responsibility as, faith, as a faithful Christ follower. Now, Paul uses the term in Christ to describe those who are faithful followers of Jesus. So first, let's look at who we are in Christ and what we possess because we are in Christ. Uh, this phrase, in Christ, is found over 90 times in this letter in various forms, depending on the translation that you are using. So once we have trusted Jesus with our total life physically, emotionally, and spiritually, we become Christians, Christ followers, and we possess all we need to become exactly what he intended for us to be. We're taken out of this world, so to speak, not literally, of course, but we're called to live a different life, um, what we might call the earthly life, and we're placed in Christ. We are in this world physically, but not of this world spiritually. John 17, 14 through 16 says it like this, and this is, this is, <clears throat> excuse me, God, or Jesus speaking to God here. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world. They do not belong to the world, this world, like us, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Now, you could think of it this way. It's kind of like being a scuba diver. Um, my husband, my daughter, and my son-in-law are all certified scuba divers, and they can exist in an alien environment of water because of their special equipment. They have wet or dry suits to protect them from the cold, a mask to see clearly, an air supply to breathe. So although they are not citizens of the ocean, they can survive there for a time because of their special equipment. And they not only survive underwater, but they thrive and they enjoy what God has created for them to experience. And as followers of Christ, citizens of his kingdom, we live in an alien environment while we wait for our heavenly home. We're not merely existing here on earth. We can thrive here because we too have special equipment. We thrive as we enjoy the experience of deepening our relationship with Jesus and becoming the men and women that God intends us to be. Now, our special equipment is the Holy Spirit who comes to dwell within us the moment we make that decision to follow Jesus Christ. And as if the Holy Spirit isn't enough, we also receive many blessings or riches that Paul calls them so that we dive, as we dive in Ephesians together, let's do that, um, turn, turn your Bibles, whether digital or paper, uh, to chapter 1, and let's do that together. Verses will also be on the screen. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May, our, may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. 
All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. As Christ followers, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. And some of these blessings include forgiveness of sins, which the Bible calls being justified. Justification means that we are free from the punishment we deserve for our sin and for our guilt. Uh, we are also sanctified, which means we are set apart, made holy for the purposes of God. And even though we live on earth, we are citizens of heaven, meaning that after life here, we will be spending eternity there. We have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the Holy Spirit, living inside us to spur us on as we live for Christ, guiding us, strengthening us on our journey of becoming more and more like Jesus as we grow in spiritual maturity. All right, let's go to chapter, to verse four. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing him to us through Jesus Christ. It is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. So this passage has caused a lot of controversy around the concept of being chosen uh, and that if this chosenness is in regards to corporate concept or an individual con concept. And frankly, it's a difficult passage to understand. So as we unpack this, we can rest in the fact that we will not fully understand all of God's mysteries until we meet him face to face. We can, however, trust in his goodness, his love, his sovereignty, even when we don't fully understand a passage of his word. And we see in several places in the Bible that God chooses specific people to display his glory and purposes throughout biblical history. And in Genesis, God chose, chooses Abraham to bring blessing to the nations. And the book of Deuteronomy and Isaiah show us that he chose Israel to be the nation that would display God's light to other nations. And in the book of John, Jesus chooses 12 disciples to follow him, learn from him, share the gospel, bear fruit, and multiply. So the idea of God choosing people for his glory is not something new. At Dayspring, we believe that the Bible teaches that salvation is a personal experience between an individual and God. Uh, the grace of, of belief, forgiveness, Redemption and sealing are all individual experiences. And these are gifts that God gives to us individually. And as a collection of individuals who believe in Christ, we, Dayspring Fellowship, is a part of the Big C Church. The Big C Church is the corporate body of, of 
believers in every nation, denomination, expression, and faith who genuinely follow Jesus. Now, even so, we must admit that the subject of election or God's choosing of those who will follow him holds a great mystery. And instead of getting stuck on the finer points of God's mystery, uh, the concept of election can be approached with a willingness to disagree agreeably with those whose interpretation of this passage differs. God reserves the right to be mysterious, and we can and we must choose to be okay with that. Tony Meredith states it like this in his commentary of Ephesians. He says, it is difficult for finite creatures with three-pound brains, that's, that's generous sometimes, I think, for me, anyway, three pound brains to comprehend how this doctrine relates to God's love for all people and his impartiality, as well as how it relates to human choices. We should be okay with the mystery, and counting mystery should be a cue to worshiping God. So we must remember that this passage is primarily focused on God's activity in salvation. And we need to look at the mystery through the lenses of the truths that we know about God. God is perfectly loving, eternally sovereign, gloriously gracious, and infinitely wise. And he can do whatever he pleases and what he does is always consistent with who he is. And we can't separate out the human responsibility of saying yes to Jesus. Our salvation is because God calls us and because we accept the call. Election and faith cannot be separated by anyone other than God. And he has clearly told us in scripture that it is a both-and approach. He is in ultimate control always, and he gave us free will. Jesus says that all are welcome to come to him. That's the invitation. The decision to accept the invitation is our own choice. And the beauty of it all is that our choosing Jesus pleases God. And that's the bottom line, really. It's about him. Uh, verse 4 tells us that the reason for this mysterious election, God chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. And this holiness can only come through our relationship with Jesus. Our yes to God's invitation gives us a positional holiness that is only for those in Christ. It is for those who have a relationship with Jesus. And it is mind-boggling that I can stand before God, blameless of all my wrongdoing, because Jesus gives his holy standing before God to me. And now, though, I have the responsibility of living my life in a way that pleases God, pursuing holiness in a practical way as I live out my life on my journey of becoming like Jesus. Let's continue. Verse 7 and 8. 
He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. We as believers, uh, we've been purchased at a great price. This is called redemption. This redemption has three very distinct meanings in the New Testament. New Testament. One simply means to go to the market and to buy. When you purchase something, it now belongs to you. Jesus purchased us and we now belong to him. Nothing can take us away. We'll talk about that in just a few minutes. The second is a deeper meaning, to buy out of the market. And, and this meaning uh, is a little deeper, meaning not only that it is purchased, but now it's no longer for sale. It's not only purchased, but it's no longer for sale. And the third meaning comes from the Greek language, and it means going away from or to be free from. We can move away from trying to work our way into heaven, and we are free from the bondage of the law. We are free from guilt. We are free to serve out our own free will because Jesus purchased us with a price. And what a price he paid. He paid with his own blood. And remember, because he's fully God and fully man, he felt everything we would feel through such an experience. He felt human pain. He felt humiliation. He felt human suffering, and he felt human death. And it's hard to fathom the crucifixion of Jesus. I mean, he's son of God. He had the supernatural powers that he could have used to spare himself from it all. But what did he choose? He chose to fully experience death on the cross that he may purchase every one of us and set us free as we get into relationship with him. Now, why did this sacrifice have to be Jesus? I mean, why couldn't it be a, you know, a, a perfect dove or ram or goat as it was in the Old Testament? It's because we're God's beloved, his chosen ones. The sacrifice had to be of sufficient quality. It had to be infinitely perfect. It had to be eternally faultless. There wasn't a creature perfect enough to satisfy our sin debt. And God demonstrated his love for us and our worth to him. And the only one who could perfectly pay the price we owed was his son, Jesus. In other words, we are worth so much to God that no sacrifice was worthy enough outside of Jesus Christ. I mean, isn't that amazing? It kind of blows my mind. We, are, we have that much value to God. Every single one of us has that much value to God. And along with our purchase comes the forgiveness of sins. The word forgiveness is more complex than it seems at first glance. There are really three parts to the fullness of the word. First, eternal forgiveness, of course, and that's what Paul is speaking of in Ephesians. Every believer is eternally forgiven the moment he or she gives their life to God through Jesus. Our sins past, present, future, 
are forgiven for eternity when we come before God and give our lives to him. The moment we are saved is the moment that wonderful gift of atonement is credited to our account for eternity. Eternal forgiveness is God forgiving the sins of those who chose to follow Jesus. But the second aspect of forgiveness is restorative forgiveness. Uh, the moment that my uh, responsibility for my actions as a sinner ended is the same moment that my responsibility to live a life as a child of God began. In the same instant I became saved, I also became responsible to live a life worthy of my salvation. So when I mess up, and I know I do, I come to him for forgiveness. Not because I haven't been forgiven. I come to ask forgiveness because that mistake that I made or that sin that I committed will affect my communion with God. My relationship with God will always be secure, eternal, because of God's commitment to me. But the quality of my relationship is up to me, and it reflects my commitment to him. Repentance is about mending my end of the relationship, not about having to ask for eternal forgiveness. I already have that when I have Jesus. In other words, sin on my part does not affect my eternal life, but it does affect my walk with the Lord. It doesn't make him love me any less, but it, it does kind of put a wedge between us and he's unable to use me in the way that he desires. And the third aspect of governmental is governmental forgiveness. It has to do with the consequences of sin. Now, even though we're forgiven, we may need to live with the consequences of our choices, just as a convicted criminal uh, must do jail time for, for their behavior, even though they are remorseful. A phrase the neighbors often heard me hollering to the girls as they left the house growing up, make good choices. Um, I still yell that to them as they're getting in their cars and they're all adults. Um, but one of my girls has added to that phrase, or suffer the consequences. All right, let's pick it up in verse 9. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. And as we said before, um, even biblical mysteries will come together eventually. God has a plan uh, that is in process. He's using his power and grace to bring everything together under Christ's authority at the right time. His time. And until then, we can rest in our relationship with Jesus, which is God's will. Verse 11. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews who were left first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God, and now you Gentiles, that's us, also have heard the truth, the good news that God saves you, and when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own, by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. 
The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance that he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Now, as if tackling one important doctrine wasn't enough, we grow here. So let's just grab on to another difficult doctrine, eternal security. Paul refers to believers' inheritance or heritage. And in Greek, the phrase that he uses referring to our inheritance is a compound word. It's, it speaks something um, of something in the future that is sure to happen. And this tradition of this phrase, or excuse me, the translation of this phrase is very difficult, actually. It could mean that we were made made an inheritance, that we, we are God's possession, which we are, or that we have received an inheritance. Now, in the Old Testament, we see it more uh, often the meaning used as God's possession. But we also see in 1 Peter 3 and 4 in Colossians 1, 12, that we have an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, unfading, kept in heaven for us. So both are true actually. We are God's possession and through our relationship with Jesus, we have received an inheritance of great riches and position in God's family. Now, as Paul writes of the Holy Spirit here, he brings up three points. First, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Paul speaks of a guarantee, or some versions of the Bible would use the word seal. And when we make the decision to join God's family, we receive the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our eternal future, or as a seal on the agreement. Historically, a seal is a mark of ownership and authenticity, like branding a cattle. For instance, ranchers know which cattle belong to which ranch by the mark on the animal. Letters from kings were authenticated when the royal seal was on the letter. So when we receive the Holy Spirit, it's our authentic seal that we belong to God. Romans 8.16 says, For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And scripture also tells us that people that, who do not have the Holy Spirit have not made the choice to join God's family. Romans 8.9 But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the spirit if you have the spirit living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. Next, Paul refers to the Holy Spirit as promised. As several places, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, tell us that God will be sending the Holy Spirit to his people. And then finally, Paul talks of the Holy Spirit being the guarantee of our eternal life, our final inheritance of a life with Jesus in heaven. The Holy Spirit is the down payment, so to speak, of, of a future eternity with Christ. And as we continue, we come to Paul's prayer for the recipients of this letter. Paul's desire for Jesus' followers is that we recognize the riches and blessings that we have because of our relationship with Jesus. So listen to how Paul continually thanks 
God for the love. He thinks, he's thankful for the love and faith that God's people have. And, and notice that Paul prays for them. He, when he does, he doesn't request material things. He asks for us to have spiritual perception and to become more like Jesus with deep Christ-like character. Paul's not praying for what we don't already have. Paul is praying for God to reveal to us that we would recognize what we already do have. He prays that we will recognize the riches that we have in Christ. So before we go too far into Paul's prayer, I want to remind us of a couple of things. First, our spiritual insight. It comes from the Holy Spirit. Uh, John 14, 26 says that the helper, the Holy Spirit, who God sends in Jesus' name will teach us all things. And, and we cannot understand spiritual things without God revealing them to us through the Holy Spirit. And second, let's consider, let's consider our hearts. You know, when we think of the heart, we think of, uh, you know, our anatomy, the physical pump that keeps us alive. We also think of our emotional self, what we feel. But the biblical definition of heart is so much more than that. It also encompasses our mind and our will. And lack, the lack of understanding of spiritual things is not from the lack of intelligence. It's a lack of our hearts being in tune with how the Holy Spirit wants us to use that intelligence. I mean, we can know a lot of the Bible that doesn't mean we're applying it to who we're becoming or how we live on the daily. The enlightenment of our hearts can only come from God through the Holy Spirit. And that is why it is so important to nurture our relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Okay, Paul's prayer for spiritual wisdom. Uh, let's read it through, then we're gonna unpack it. Verse 15, Ephesians chapter one, verse 15. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now, I see some four requests here. First, we have the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know him better. There's a difference between knowing someone who they are, uh, like an acquaintance, and intimately knowing someone. I mean, with an acquaintance, maybe you, you know their name, you know what they do, if they have a family, that, that they're a nice person, uh, but you don't know the way they think or the desire of their heart like you do in an intimate relationship with someone else. Get this. God wants his relationship with us to be the most intimate relationship we have in our lives. I want you to say this with me. It's on the screen. God wants his relationship with me 
Okay, we're gonna start over. God wants his relate. This is kind of awesome, you guys. So I want you to say it like it's awesome. All right? Because this is kind of a deal, right? Kind of a deal. Let's do it. God wants his relationship with me to be the most in relationship I have in my entire life. That's it, people. That's the most important thing. To know God personally is salvation. To know him increasingly is sanctification. And as we get to know Jesus more intimately, we become more like him. To know him perfectly is glorification. We'll, we'll not see him perfectly until we are with him in heaven. That's our glorification. Second, Paul asked that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened so we may know the hope to which God has called us. As we remember that hope, Hope refers to an assurance of our future. We can delight in the fact that those who receive God's saving grace through submission to Christ are assured that their future includes an eternity of living in the presence of the Holy God. 1 Peter 3.5, all praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. This hope should be a dynamic force in our lives, encouraging us to be pure and obedient and faithful. The fact that we shall one day see Christ and be like him should motive us, motivate us to live like Christ today. And then third, that we would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. It's weird to think that he has an inheritance in us. Isn't that kind of weird? I mean, obviously he's our inheritance, but that we're his also, I mean, that reminds us of our value to him. God sees us through his eyes of our future, not our past. And if that's true, shouldn't we live our lives by who we are becoming instead of who we are, who we were? And finally, fourth, Paul prays that we would understand the incomparably great power we have in him. The Greek word that Paul uses in this verse has much greater meaning, as always, than our English language can capture. Our English language is always a little less when it comes to God's word, I think. So the word power as in dynamo or dynamite, so think of the power in dynamite, the Greek word energia, or working, working as energy, or kratos, we, or, or mighty, mighty. We are talking about a divine, dynamic, eternal energy that is available to us. And there are reasons that we need God's power that are beyond the obvious. I mean, we can't do it on our own. To turn over these vast riches and power that we have in Christ without the Holy Spirit to guide us would be like giving an ad bomb to a two-year-old. 
I mean, you can imagine human beings using the power that God has given us without the guidance and the restraint of the Holy Spirit. Also, we would never defeat the enemy whose sole purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy. Without the power that we have in Christ, it's, it, it, it's through that power of Christ that we can defeat the attacks of Satan. I mean, the bottom line is I cannot become more like Jesus without the power of the Holy Spirit in me. We cannot understand and apply what Paul is praying for us unless we understand the position of Christ and his authority. Verse 21. Now he is, he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Jesus is not only savior. He is sovereign. He has supreme authority. He is above all. No enemy can overcome him. Every enemy is under his feet in submission to him. And this includes this world and the spirit world. Jesus' position could not be higher. That also means that he is above me. He is above you. And it also means that I can be sure of the power that he says that I have in him. For every person who received Christ has eternal life, but not every believer has entered into an abundant life or overwhelming life. Not every believer has the joy that comes from knowing what he or she has in Christ and living accordingly, becoming like Jesus. Eternal life is God-given. However, experiencing an abundant life has to do with the, with the way you live after you've received Christ. Your abundant life, how you experience your riches in Christ is in direct relationship to how you exercise your faith in Christ in your daily walk. It is in direct relationship with who you are becoming. Eternal life is based on the finished work of Christ for redemption. The abundant life is based on the present work of Christ through the Holy Spirit's working in our lives each day and how we receive and acknowledge that. Now, I'm not a billionaire with a warehouse full of valuable art and collectibles. But I'm a daughter of the king who has access to his presence, his wisdom, his revelation at any given time. I'm a daughter of the king who can enlighten my heart to a true hope. I'm a daughter of the king who's above all. I have riches beyond measure. And if you are a son or a daughter of the king, so do you. So, are you gonna continue to live your life as routine? You get up, you go to work, you come home, you take care of the house, the kids, the pets, whatever and go to bed, get up the next morning, and do it all again. Are you going to wake up every morning and intentionally think and pray about the riches you already have in Christ, asking God to enlighten your heart, not just your head, that you would see with his eyes and 
hear with his ears and respond with his love? Are you going to recognize the hope you have which should change how you approach and live out each day? Are you going to call on the divine dynamic power to live a life worthy of your calling? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we embrace your word, set a fire in us, in our hearts, in our minds. Uh, Allow us to recognize the Holy Spirit's work, go after the Holy Spirit's work, seek the Holy Spirit's work. We are so thankful for the riches that we so often take for granted. God, help us to recognize them each morning and each evening before we go to sleep, that we may be drawn closer to you. Lord, have your will and your way in us. And all the people said, Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions alone or with others will help the truth of God's Word find its place in your life. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. Faithful people like you make this ministry possible. People who believe in what God is doing through Dayspring, who have experienced God's work in and through their own lives and been changed in the process. If you're just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. That is the responsibility of our Dayspringers. We are simply excited to play a small part as God does His perfect work in you today. For those of you who would like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website, or text GIVE to the number on your screen, or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. And one more thing. Thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you connect with us. Thank you for rating us where that is appropriate. Even more, thank you for sharing our services with your friends and family. God uses you to plant seeds in other people's lives, so keep sowing. And if this service was a blessing to you, it'll probably be a blessing to someone else too. Until we meet again, may you experience great joy in the presence of Jesus.